I'm Bonnie Lin, Director of the China Power Project and Senior Fellow for Asian Security at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power Podcast, we're discussing the People's Liberation Army's efforts to adopt artificial intelligence technologies and the implications for the United States. As technological capabilities have advanced, AI has emerged as a key area of competition for the world's major military powers. Chinese leaders consider AI crucial to enhancing China's military capabilities and altering the existing balance of military power. AI could significantly advance the collection and transmission of intelligence, military training and logistics, the development of autonomous weapons, and more. In other words, AI is no longer a topic for science fiction, and the Chinese military is already reaping the advantages of commercial off-the-shelf AI technologies. Amid rising tensions between the United States and China, efforts by the PLA to enhance their capabilities through AI raise important concerns for U.S. security. Washington has already tightened export controls on Chinese companies with links to the Chinese military. But are these measures effective? And how might China's efforts to utilize AI systems for military purposes undermine U.S. military advantages? To answer these questions and more, we are joined by Ryan Fedashik, the co-author of a groundbreaking new report titled Harnessed Lightning, How the Chinese Military is Adopting Artificial Intelligence. Ryan is a research analyst at Georgetown Center for Security and Emerging Technology where his work explores military applications of artificial intelligence, as well as China's efforts to acquire foreign technology. He is also an MA candidate in the Security Studies program at Georgetown University. So Ryan, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Ryan, congratulations on your recent report on Harness Lightning, how the Chinese military is adopting artificial intelligence. We're also aware that this is just one of multiple reports that you have released recently on artificial intelligence, and we hope to cover all of your reports on this podcast today. So let's start off by setting the ground for how you understand the potential benefits for China for incorporating AI into its military capabilities. Basically, why is the PLA pushing to acquire different AI systems and technologies? So I think it's important to start off with a description of AI itself, which is not easy to pin down. If you read the U.S. Department of Defense's AI strategy, for example, it talks about decades-old DoD AI like signal processing and autopilot systems. But I think what most people talk about today in terms of third-wave artificial intelligence refers to deep learning and applications that are really good at synthesizing large amounts of information very quickly and at scale, essentially doing what humans can do, but faster. And so this is really integral, I think, to the People's Liberation Army's vision of intelligentized warfare, which is characterized by ubiquitous networks, where human-on-human warfare is eventually replaced by machine-on-machine warfare. And I don't think that this is going to happen overnight, but we can already see that the PLA is really focused on this application and inspired by U.S. concepts like network-centric and mosaic warfare to connect the systems that it uses to sense objects and adversaries and the systems that it uses then to attack them. So some of the most relevant applications here, I think, include intelligence analysis, but also decision support systems, helping map the locations of the PLA's own vehicles and those of potentially the United States or adversaries. 
uh, as well as electronic warfare and cyber operations, analyzing incoming radar signatures and then modulating them in response or searching for vulnerabilities in computer networks. Ryan, you discussed how the PLA views artificial intelligence and how it could be used to improve military capabilities. How important does the PLA view AI in terms of its overall military modernization? So I, I think AI is really the cornerstone of a new phase of Chinese military modernization that's broadly referred to as intelligentization, jinenhua. And this follows on the heels of some other investments the PLA has been making really for the past 30 years into mechanization and informatization. And in the past, the PLA had focused really on trying to build a modern military force, creating motorized vehicles and uh, armored infantry units, and really focusing a lot on land borders, for example. But I think that in the past 10 to 20 years, it started to shift its focus toward the air and the space domains, building a blue water navy as well. And so it's trying to build systems that can expand the reach of its capabilities, its ability to project power into different theaters. And to do that, it's relying on over-the-horizon systems, on remotely piloted aircraft, on sensor networks that can detect and engage adversaries far beyond where the PLA has traditionally operated. And to do that, I think artificial intelligence will form a really important part of the PLA strategy, and already is. Uh, we can see, and this is a, a cr the crux of the report we released, that AI is already a really big part of its spending. So you and your co-authors note in your most recent report that there are mixed views within the PLA about the implementation of AI and the development of technologies such as lethal autonomous weapon systems. You state that some PLA leaders think that it will dramatically enhance the PLA's capabilities, while others worry that AI may undermine strategic stability. Can you share more about both perspectives and the reasoning behind them? So I think that a lot of people, at least in the United States, are willing to uh, or, or inclined to say that the PLA is you know, really rushing forward with this technology in a way that is significantly different from that of the United States. But I don't know that that's accurate. I think it's more accurate to say that there are different camps within the Chinese military as there are within the U.S. military in their attitudes toward lethal autonomous weapons and using AI in general. So uh, I know we were surprised to see that some PLA officers were writing about their concerns in very public venues like PLA Daily uh, about using laws. Uh, for example, uh, a few different officers wrote this article, I think it was in April, talking about how a Turkish uh, Cargo 2 quadcopter had fired on a human completely autonomously in Libya. And they wrote that this was a serious lack of moral responsibility and a challenge to international humanitarian law, peace, and security. And that's strong language uh, for PLA officers to be writing so publicly. Uh, and we know that similar groups in the United States have advanced similar arguments. Uh, but at the same time, there are, of course, factions in the PLA that are really sanguine about the use of this technology. And they believe that at the end of the day, technology will inevitably increase the tempo of war such that without automated systems, humans alone will be incapable of responding to imminent attack. And so I had conducted some research in the past assessing what PLA officers are, are writing and how defense industry engineers in China are writing about the technology and found similar results that a lot of them are concerned about compression of response time, 
and about strategic stability overall. So I don't think that this is uncommon, but at the same time, you do have a really prevalent argument that they have to invest in this technology to create asymmetric advantage vis-a-vis -vis the United States. And frankly, you hear a lot of those similar arguments being advanced by officials in the U.S. Department of Defense. For example, uh, Bob Work uh, and others have been really advancing this notion that the United States needs to be investing in AI for similar reasons. And it's not a question really of uh, what the United States is willing to uphold in terms of red lines, but we really have to respond that the enemy gets a vote and that the PLA is going to perhaps force our hand. Thank you, Ryan. Two quick follow-up questions on this. First, you mentioned that there are those who are concerned about artificial intelligence in the PLA. Are these a minority in the PLA or is this a larger group? Second question is, you mentioned that there are those in China who view artificial intelligence as providing China asymmetric advantage. What exactly is the asymmetric portion of this? What is this advantage that they're talking about? Yeah, so on the first question, I really don't know. I, I'm not a part of the Chinese military and uh, don't speak with a lot of their officers myself. But uh, on the second question, I think that the asymmetric advantage that they're discussing is pretty evident in terms of just trying to compensate for some of the vulnerabilities that the PLA is acutely aware of in its own concepts of operations and its own force structure. So 10 years ago, for example, the PLA had really minimal anti-submarine warfare capabilities, and it, it didn't have a very strong submarine force. It was really worried about what the United States could bring to bear in a crisis. But I think that that is changing in part as a result of AI. This is the reason why they've invested so heavily in swarms of undersea vehicles that might be able to detect U.S. submarine forces in a crisis. They've invested a lot in systems designed to sniff out vulnerabilities in U.S. computer networks or jam U.S. radar systems. And so I think that these are really the, the places where the PLA feels it can gain some kind of advantage or some leg up over the United States, despite its perhaps lagging technology in some areas. So what is the Chinese military doing to acquire artificial intelligence capabilities? What is the PLA prioritizing? And what types of AI-related technologies is the PLA procuring? So this is exactly the question we set out to answer in our most recent report, Harness Lightning. The bottom line is that the PLA is buying a large number of systems and equipment related to artificial intelligence. And we wanted to see how and where specifically it was buying AI. So we derived these seven main application areas for the technology. Those include first, intelligent and autonomous vehicles. Second, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, more on the software side of things. Third, predictive maintenance and logistics systems. Fourth, information and electronic warfare. Fifth, simulation and training. Sixth, command and control. And seventh, automated target recognition systems. And so we compiled this database of PLA contracts and tried to ascertain which of those applications uh, each of the contracts was most closely related to. And at the end of the day, we found that the PLA was really interested in procuring systems related to autonomous vehicles, as well as ISR. And ultimately, we found that very few of the contracts, at least the public contracts in our data set, 
or related to command and control and automated target recognition systems, which is perhaps heartening. On the other hand, we acknowledge in the report, and it is true that we would have very little way of knowing uh, if it were procuring very large classified systems that might not be showing up in the data set. But it does seem clear that ISR and vehicles are real priorities for the PLA. You mentioned seven main applications of artificial intelligence. Are these seven based on existing PLA categories, or are they based on a more general understanding of artificial intelligence? Yeah, we hummed and hawed quite a bit over uh, how to derive these categories. Uh, we built on the work of some other scholars like El Sicania and uh, others who have been watching how the PLA is using AI, but we also considered how the US DOD thinks about the technology. Uh, it has some communities of interest built around, for example, test and evaluation. Uh, and I had done some previous research looking at different applications like intelligent munitions uh, and cybersecurity software. So we decided that these seven were pretty exhaustive and could capture the majority of the contracts in our data set. And where a label didn't clearly fit, we simply marked it as other. Great, thank you. And in terms of your data set, how far back did you go or were you only looking at the recent couple of years? Yeah, our data is just from the months of April through November of 2020. So it's an eight month period of time. Uh, there are some more technical and logistical reasons for why we could only look at a short period of time, but it ultimately includes about 66,000 procurement records, uh, about 18,000 of which were public contracts to procure actual equipment. Uh, and so that was really the corpus that we looked at and searched for contracts related to AI and then decided to see how often they were procuring certain kinds of capability. How does the PLA procurement process work? Who is the PLA trying to acquire these technologies from? Could you discuss a bit about the contracting process? Sure. So like in the United States, there is uh, an acquisition process in China that's frankly not very well understood. And there are uh, a lot of unknowns even to me. But businesses in China can go about getting a license to supply the PLA with weapons, equipment or software. I believe there are three different kinds of licenses that correspond to different security levels that can be awarded to a, a given institution. And I should say that it's not just businesses that are eligible to bid on contracts or to be selected for contracts. Uh, several institutions in our data set were universities or research labs affiliated with the Chinese Academies of Science. Uh, and so a wide range of institutions in China are eligible to and are actually supplying the PLA with AI-related systems and equipment. So we identified 273 unique suppliers of AI systems in our sample of 350 or so AI-related contracts. Uh, and that's a pretty wide range. Uh, most suppliers in our data set were awarded just one or two contracts. And that implies that there's actually quite a bit of diversity in the PLA's defense industrial base when it comes to AI systems. I want to go back to the seven types of AI contracts. You mentioned that the top PLA contract category was intelligent autonomous vehicles. What does this cover? Sure. So the vast majority of vehicles uh, or vehicle contracts in our data set were related to aerial vehicles as opposed to surface sea, undersea, or ground vehicles. Uh, although we did see uh, different vehicles of each kind mentioned in the data set, or at least subsystems that were designed to be placed uh, into each of those kinds of vehicles. 
the PLA has been making serious investments in all four kinds of remotely piloted vehicles over the past 20 years. And it is a question how often and to what extent AI itself is really at the core of these kinds of systems. If they're going to navigate completely autonomously, if there are going to be certain kinds of subsystems designed for computer vision or targeting that are then emplaced in remotely piloted vehicles, but which themselves engage with the target autonomously. Uh, And so these are all questions that, frankly, we did not attempt to distinguish between because we had very little information to go off of and we didn't have a a concrete way of systematically categorizing each of them. But we did find that aerial vehicles are far and away the most common kind of vehicle being procured. And we did find a number of cases where they were talking about using swarms of autonomous vehicles or constructing targets uh, for such swarms to engage with in terms of practice. And so this would imply that the technology has really advanced a long way since the mid-2010s when people started uh, writing about PLA autonomous vehicles in earnest. Do you have a sense of why aerial vehicles are prioritized to the extent that they are? Or is it the case where right now maybe we're only seeing a portion of the picture because, as you mentioned, there might be classified efforts that we're not seeing? It's a good question. You know, I'm wary of the streetlight phenomenon and and trying to look only at what we can see. But I also think that aerial vehicles are a natural starting point. They're where the United States really started with Project Maven back in 2017. Uh, The Shenyang Institute of Automation was engaging in similar research at a similar point in time. Uh, And you just face fewer barriers with aerial vehicles than you do trying to create terrain navigation policies for robotic systems on the ground. That's something that the United States is still struggling with, and I would imagine the PLA is as well. I also think the kinds of engagements that the PLA is envisioning really call for aerial vehicles in a wide range of theaters, whether that be in Xinjiang or on the line of actual control with India or in a Taiwan Strait contingency. So would it be fair to characterize aerial vehicles as potentially easier for China to invest in technologically compared to other types of intelligent autonomous vehicles? I think so, if only because they've been worked on in public the longest, right? The Wing Lung UAV was released, I think, in 2009, and we've since seen serious investment in developing like rainbow series of UAVs from CASC, the China Aerospace Science and Technology Corporation, that have then been exported abroad. It, it seems like a very clear application that uh, is really good for ISR, right? There are more limited applications, I think, of undersea vehicles. If you're dealing with an adversary who has undersea forces, then undersea vehicles are particularly helpful for you. But UAVs you can use for all manner of systems and equipment. There's also dual use with domestic policing or even commercial enterprises and trying to get aerial footage of different uh, places. Most of your seven categories of AI contracts are pretty straightforward. One category that was less so was the category of predictive maintenance and logistics. What does this include? So I think many of the most promising applications for AI are not actually in combat or engaging targets, but really in the more mundane back office tasks that plague any large bureaucracy, but especially the military. Uh, And so in the United States, for example, the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center, the Jake, started off with a lot of AI projects related to repairing equipment. 
trying to pour through kind of these logs uh, of equipment repair that were compiled by human engineers and trying to predict when certain components might fail in certain U.S. helicopters, especially if they were operating in really sandy environments, trying to determine how many flights it would take uh, to replace some given servo or widget in that system. And frankly, the PLA is investing in a lot of similar applications, trying to predict how long its equipment might last, when it might need to undergo maintenance or repair, as well as where and when it needs to ship certain kinds of material and supplies like bullets or food. We saw a number of contracts for uh, intelligent warehouses that would essentially box up components and then predict where and how to fill those orders in advance so that they could reduce the number of stockpiles of supplies they would need to provide in a crisis. Now, I'm not sure exactly how much of that would actually pan out if push came to shove, uh, but I do think it's an interesting area of exploration. Let me now pivot a bit and ask you, to what extent is China collaborating with other countries in joint research on AI? I saw you recently published a report assessing China-Russia collaboration. Could you talk a bit about this recent report of yours? Sure. So uh, I had the privilege of contributing to this study that was led by Margarita Kanaev and Andrew Imbri called Headline or Trendline, uh, trying to assess Sino-Russian collaboration in AI. And uh, the bottom line is that, yes, we do find that Russia and China are collaborating more in AI today than they were previously. In fact, between 2010 and 2019, our Russian-Chinese co-publication in the field of AI grew 14 times over. But overall, this isn't actually that surprising because the field of AI itself is pretty new. And the level of Russo-Chinese investment and research in AI pales in comparison with either country's relationship with the United States. U.S. Chinese investment in AI far outstrips that of Chinese-Russian investment in AI. And the same is true for the uh, uh, Russian-Chinese dyad and, and other uh, applications. Let me follow up on Chinese investment in artificial intelligence. So your report mentions that China is investing a base level of $1.6 billion every year on AI-related systems and equipments. So how significant is this in terms of China's overall military spending? And how does this compare to that of other major militaries like the United States? Across all of the 18,000 public equipment contracts in our dataset, about 2% seem related to AI systems and equipment. And that's pretty significant. It doesn't sound like a lot off the bat, but you have to think about these records including almost everything, even mundane objects that the Chinese military is buying, ranging from toilet seats and ball bearings to staplers and desktop computers. And so if 2% of these are related to AI, that's not nothing. And when we looked specifically at what the PLA's five main service branches are buying, that's the Army, Navy, Strategic Support Force, Rocket Force, and Air Force, uh, it's closer to 5% of their contracts that appear related to AI systems and equipment. We also find that this amount of money, we say it's in the low billions of dollars, we think, uh, is about on par with what the United States seems to spend on AI. Different estimates of DOD AI spending uh, put the figure at between $800 million and $1.3 billion. But that number has since increased, and it also doesn't include DOD spending on autonomy, which is about $2 billion more. Uh, so at the end of the day, if the United States and China are both spending about the same amount of money 
on AI in the low billions, we think that's really significant, especially given the $500 billion difference in the top line budgets of the US and Chinese militaries, which Bonnie, I know your team has published a lot of great research on. I think that really speaks to the importance the PLA ascribes to AI in particular. And I also think that it is a wild departure from some of the other public estimates about Chinese military AI spending. A couple of years ago, we were hearing that the Chinese military was spending something like $70 billion on AI every year, which is simply not true. But I also think that it's more illustrative than looking at very specific numbers. Uh, the recent China military power report released by the DOD, for example, uh, specifies that the Ministry of Science and Technology in China dedicated $85 million to AI-related research last year. Uh, I think that's an interesting number, but I think it's also far too low and doesn't include a lot of the private sector innovation, as well as other public streams of funding being dedicated to AI. I think it also doesn't necessarily reflect investments made by the Chinese defense industrial base in AI systems and equipment. Uh, our numbers are talking specifically about what the military is buying as opposed to investing in R&D. And so I think that the true number is likely a lot higher. Let me now transition to a related question based off some of your earlier discussion of how private Chinese companies and research institutes help fulfill PLA procurement contracts. What role does China's military-civil fusion strategy or MCF, play in terms of helping the PLA enhance its artificial intelligence capabilities? I think this is a very important question. To me, MCF is both a program that companies in China can opt into and a more comprehensive development strategy being pioneered by the Chinese government and defense industry. Uh, so we know that there are literally military civil fusion enterprises, Chunmin Ronghe, that a company can opt into to receive funding from a province's government guidance fund. Uh, and then in exchange, it can receive equipment, personnel, information, or capital directly or indirectly from the state and in turn contribute to China's military modernization. We've seen a couple of examples of that that are cited in our most recent report. One example is a, a company that received, I think, $100,000 from the Hunan provincial government in 2018, and it went on to supply the PLA with satellite sensing software that was somehow related to artificial intelligence. Uh, but the bottom line is that a lot of the companies that do supply the PLA with equipment are private companies. We know that the PLA is really striving to create a system that's emblematic of what the United States had developed in the 1960s and 70s with defense primes like uh, Lockheed and Northrop being able to innovate and then in turn supply the Chinese government and military with high quality technology and equipment. But I think that China's strategy also extends far beyond what the United States had created. Uh, we know that the state is very involved in promoting innovation in China and guiding specific investments made by the private sector. And we can also see that a lot of the private companies in our study, 166 different private enterprises involved in supplying AI-related systems and equipment, were founded just in the past 10 years. So it seems like the PLA has a growing base of suppliers that is far larger than has been previously reported, uh, at least in English. And I think that's something the United States ought to pay attention to, uh, the relationship between the Chinese military and the private technology sector. Let's transition to policy implications for the United States. So your report mentions that the PLA is still very reliant on AI chips designed by U.S. companies. What are AI chips? 
And what's the difference between AI chips versus semiconductor chips? So AI chips are a subset of semiconductor device that are specifically designed to train up and process large neural networks and AI systems. And they're designed to do this based in part of the structure of the chip itself and where specifically uh, transistors are placed, but also in the size and the quality of those transistors. So AI chips uh, are generally considered to be graphics processing units, uh, certain kinds of field programmable gate arrays, uh, and then application-specific integrated circuits that are designed to run AI systems, as well as some really, really high-end uh, CPUs that you would find in, in a laptop, for example. Now, that's not to say that every one of these kinds of chips is only for using uh, or running AI systems, right? So in my computer now, I have an NVIDIA GPU that's designed to process graphics. But some of the really high-end quality ones that cost thousands or tens of thousands of dollars uh, have billions of transistors packed very tightly onto the surface of the silicon wafer. And they can only be designed and made by a select number of companies in the world. And some of the best AI chips specifically that are uh, at the leading edge, as we like to say, uh, are designed by American firms like NVIDIA and then fabricated by the TSMC, the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company in Taiwan. If the United States were to implement major restrictions on the supply of AI chips, how significantly could that impact the PLA's AI development goals? How much leverage does the United States ultimately hold over China in terms of the AI technology supply chain? Yeah, I think the United States holds significant leverage in terms of AI chips. And I think that restricting that access would definitely have a, a major impact on China's intelligentization strategy. Uh, while it wasn't the focus of our research, we were surprised to see that so many of the AI chips bought by the PLA and defense SOEs were designed by American companies like NVIDIA, Intel, and Silux. Uh, we saw a number of newly established intermediary companies in China that would buy these chips that were designed by American firms and fabricated in Taiwan and then resell them to sanctioned PLA units and defense companies. Uh, one example of this was a, a company called LinkZol, which actually bought the domain name NVIDIAGPU.com. So this company sells NVIDIA GPUs in China to a number of institutions. But among them, we can see that it was awarded a contract to supply the strategic support force with NVIDIA-designed Tesla GPUs, which are really high-end devices that cost thousands of dollars at retail price. I think if you go on Amazon, it's something like $8,000 to buy one of these things. And so I think at the end of the day, this is a serious issue. Very few of the AI suppliers in our data set are subject, for example, to U.S. export controls or sanctions regimes. They're not listed, for example, in the Department of Commerce's entity list. And I think that as a result, there are a number of intermediaries that can sidestep the uh, U.S. sanctions process. So what is the Chinese government doing to address this vulnerability? So the Chinese government has invested tens of billions of dollars into China's chip manufacturing industry. This has been an ambition for decades now, I think, uh, James Andrew Lewis at CSIS wrote a fantastic study about this in 2019, uh, and my organization, CSET, has produced a large number of reports spearheaded by Safe Khan and Will Hunt on this topic. 
Uh, but at the end of the day, large companies in China like Huawei had previously stockpiled large numbers of chips for fear that they might be added to the U.S. entity list. Uh, but then they were added to the entity list, and those supplies are now starting to wane. So as far as I know, industry experts project that it will take China at least five years and probably closer to a decade to really indigenize its chip manufacturing industry. And for these leading edge AI chips that rely on a process called extreme ultraviolet lithography, uh, a technology that Chinese firms do not currently possess, who knows if it will ever really be possible uh, for mainland Chinese firms to be producing chips of that quality for AI specific applications. So let me just make sure that I am understanding this correctly. So what you're saying is that China has the ability to produce basic semiconductor chips, but currently does not have the ability to produce what we call、uh, leading edge AI chips. Is that a correct characterization? Yes, that's exactly right. We measure the quality of a chip essentially by the、uh, density at which the transistors are packed onto the silicon wafer. So the most leading edge chip nowadays is five nanometers,、uh, is at least the the node that we measure it at. And I believe a lot of Chinese firms、uh, are struggling to fabricate chips at, at、uh, the twenty seven nanometer. Node or below,、uh, there are some companies that have fabricated small numbers of chips. I believe even at 12 nanometers. But once you start going further and further down this line, you need very specialized equipment, which is produced only by a few companies in the world, primarily ASML in the Netherlands. And that kind of equipment simply isn't being exported to China these days. Your recent report also found that. Of the 273 PLA AI equipment suppliers identified, just eight percent are named U.S. export control and sanctions regimes. How significant is that? What, if anything, should DC policymakers do to address these gaps? Yeah, yeah, I think that this is a really significant issue, and the problem actually runs a lot deeper than what's laid out even in our report. So we focus on AI-specific suppliers、uh, for these 273 institutions, but by the end of 2020, we know that at least 25,000 businesses were licensed to supply the PLA with weapons and equipment, and fewer than two percent of them, about 500 institutions total, are present on the U.S. Department of Commerce's entity list. And I'm not saying that every Chinese military supplier ought to be blacklisted. Uh, many of these companies happen to include the PLA as a client. You can think, for example, of Dell in the United States, which supplies desktop computers to several U.S. government and military facilities. But Dell is by no means a U.S. military company.、Uh, but I do think that Congress ought to commission a review of the size and the structure of the Chinese defense industrial base. Frankly, we don't know what we don't know. Uh, but there are clearly lots of suppliers of different kinds of systems and equipment, and particularly AI-related systems、uh, that are slipping through the cracks. There were a number of examples in our most recent report, Harness Lightning, that discuss using U.S. origin data components and equipment in systems that were later resold to the Chinese military. Thanks, Ryan. Let's look at another implication. What does China's investment in artificial intelligence mean for the overall U.S.-China military balance, as well as the U.S. ability to conduct various types of military operations in the Indo-Pacific? In other words, to what extent do you see Chinese investments in AI as exploiting U.S. weaknesses? Yeah, I think that this is a clear application of 
Chinese military investment in AI. In particular, in the report, we found that there are two key areas where the Chinese military is heavily investing. But then there is another area of research uh, that didn't make it into the report that I'd like to discuss. So in terms of investments, it's clear the Chinese military is prioritizing undersea and anti-submarine warfare, as well as cognitive electronic warfare in terms of modulating radar signals. And so I think AI plays a role in both of these applications. First, in undersea warfare, we can see that the PLA Navy is investing in a large number of undersea unmanned systems designed to seek out uh, U.S. essentially submarine forces in a crisis. And I think that that is significant uh, given the PLA's longstanding disadvantage in undersea and seabed warfare. Uh, in a Taiwan Strait contingency, I think the PLA is concerned about the maneuverability of U.S. forces, although it has developed some substantial anti-access and aerial denial systems above the surface of the sea. I think the undersea domain is an area where the PLA has had some serious disadvantage that it hopes to reconcile by building AI systems. Fusing together the sonar image readouts, for example, collected by some undersea platforms, and then searching for patterns in those signatures to try to recognize uh, U.S. forces out of this library of signals that it's creating. We saw a number of contracts being awarded for very similar applications. Uh, a lot of them were developed, for example, by Harbin Engineering University, which is one of the Chinese military's premier shipbuilding institutions and research facilities. Uh, the second clear area of investment is in cognitive electronic warfare, and that's using AI to essentially receive radar signals decode what is going on in a, a signal that's being processed, uh, and then trying to respond in some way by modulating the PLA's own radar signal to try to jam uh, or interfere with that signal. So this kind of signal processing uh, is the foundation of electronic warfare. Uh, and using AI to essentially speed up this process rather than manually trying to fiddle with the system is really an area that's of, of importance to the PLA and to the United States. I think the PLA is very clear that it hopes to interfere with U.S. sensor and communication networks in this way. Uh, the final topic that didn't make it into the report is not a topic that we can see in the PLA's procurement contracts, probably because so much of it is new or classified, and that is vulnerability fuzzing trying to use AI to essentially seek out vulnerabilities in computer networks. So there are a number of professors at the PLA's National University of Defense Technology and other related institutions that are doing active research into how to find and exploit computer vulnerabilities. So a few of my colleagues at CSET, like Dakota Carey, have written about how Chinese universities are pioneering this area of research and awarding degrees on the basis of machine learning, a few of which require or at least offer classes in this offensive use of machine learning to find computer network vulnerabilities. I think that's a growing area of promise, but also one that's very concerning to the United States. Let's wrap up by discussing one final question. Ryan, what do you view as the major takeaways in terms of understanding the PLA's current investment in AI capabilities? What areas have China made significant progress in, and what areas should we monitor closely moving forward? Sure. I think that the PLA uh, has undoubtedly made progress in uh, 
ISR and in undersea and space domains. So the China Military Power Report, for example, specifies that the PLA now operates a growing number of Earth observation satellites, that that number has grown substantially just in the past year. Uh, we can also see the PLA is making gains in predictive maintenance systems, which are at least a clear focus, similar to uh, the projects first undertaken by the U.S. Joint AI Center. Uh, it's also using AI in a number of projects related to electronic warfare, as well as simulation and training, trying to compensate for gaps in the readiness and lack of operational experience, uh, which are, are frankly big challenges for the PLA. I think there are, however, a few areas to monitor where the true nature of progress that is apparently being made is actually not very clear. Uh, those are autonomous vehicles uh, and talking about the actual level of autonomy in a given system, whether it be just in navigation or, or actual subsystems that are being used for intelligence processing. Also, information operations and command and control. These are topics where we didn't see all that much investment. Uh, we did see a few projects that were perhaps concerning to the United States, talking about setting up uh, command centers or trying to monitor the valence of public opinion on uh, social media platforms, including Twitter and Facebook. But we also didn't see all that many projects related to command and control. And the ones we did see were primarily designed to augment or improve human decision-making, not replace it outright. I do think that those are both areas worth watching very closely, uh, especially as uh, the PLA continues investing in AI and trying to prepare for intelligentized warfare. Well, thank you very much, Ryan. This was a fascinating and very rich discussion. Thank you so much for the opportunity, and uh, I'm glad to have taken the time.